0: This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United
1: Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ.
0: I remember being an unbeliever. I don't know if you do or not. Do you remember the time before you professed Christ and believed in the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection from the dead? Um, You may not. Either way, we have a slew of different ways that we've heard the gospel presented, right? Right? Have, have you had different people try to explain their Christian faith to you in, in as many different ways as, as you can imagine? Uh, one side of the coin, we've got the Westboro Baptist folks that uh, love to picket the soldiers' funerals. We've got this. Uh, I happen to be divorced, and so uh, apparently I'm a lifelong a, an adulterer into eternity, so that's unfortunate for me. Thank you. And then uh, I'm going to hell, too, so that's good news, right? And then we've got the next, uh, next slide. These are the messages of the Christian faiths offered up to our, um, our culture that we see from, from that arm of people who profess Christ. Um, and then I had some family on my dad's side who would share Christ with me during my teen years mostly, my early 20s, and, and I would tend to uh, mock them. I would tend to kind of have fun with them and push their buttons. I didn't believe. I had a lot of the intellectual objections. You know, you guys are crazy really for believing somebody rose from the dead. All right, first of all, and what about people who never heard about Jesus? That was one of my my go-to responses to my Christian friends. And so I remember before I became a Christian, I remember having real, authentic, genuine people who would come to me and share their faith. And then I also remember before being a Christian and now being a Christian, some who are standing on the street corner with a bullhorn yelling messages of condemnation and hellfire. I want to see some nods. Are we all kind of... Are we all kind of part of a culture where we have this diverse, different experiences of what people say verbally when they share their faith? We throw out words like evangelism, witnessing, faith sharing. Some, if you have a, a certain denominational background, soul winning. How many raise your hand if you've heard the word soul, the term soul winning? Okay, yeah, winning souls. And so, what we have to do. When we go to the biblical text, is start asking some questions that can take truth, in in this case today, in and on the series that we're in, in the, in and through the life of Paul, that can take truths and then transform them and bring them into our context and our culture today. So, from the text that we're going to read, we're going to find out how would Paul speak into the different religious beliefs, the different, the different uh, ways of thinking, the different worldviews. For the rest of my sermon, I'm going to be calling these isms. Uh, isms are, are many different worldviews and belief systems, really religions that we have out there informing the culture and influencing us that are in opposition to Christianity. So we are in the series, uh, Paul, The Road Ahead, and in uh, Sunday nights, Bob is leading a uh, Bible study. How many of you are in Bob's Sunday night Bible study? He's got a pretty good crowd in there. Did you guys make announcements in this service for that? Okay, well, he's got like 70 people in there. It's a big, big class. And, and they're going over a book called uh, The Apostle. And it's written by a guy named John Pollock. And this is one of the quotes that, that the author, through the lens of Paul, makes. He says Christians must outlove, outjoy, outthink, and always welcome those who oppose them. I just love that quote because if you look at that, you hear a lot of preaching and teaching and you hear a lot of messages coming at Christians saying we need to outlove those outside of the church, right? That's a pretty common message. You also hear that we need to have joy. We need to show the world that you can have joy in the midst of pain, trial, suffering, and even death, right? We hear those messages. But how often do you hear from the pulpit or from Christian teaching or from those who lead you that we need to be out thinking the culture. We need to be listening to the perspectives of the Bill Mars and the Christopher Hitchens and the Oprah Winfrey's. And we need to be saying, okay, this is where you're at. We're starting there. Now let's think through what it is that you believe and let's think through, if you'll allow us, what it is we believe and why we believe it matters. So much. Are you with me? Alright, we're gonna to go to Acts chapter 17, and we are going to look at um, the, the text in three different three different times. We're gonna we're gonna read some some of the passage, we're gonna stop and unpack it, and then keep going forward. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Did you hear that? He's reasoning in the synagogues. Those were the churches. Those were the Jews did church. So he's, he's giving them a reasonable reason to believe this, this new message of the resurrection. And then he's out in the marketplace. He's in the public square, and he's proclaiming the gospel. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with Paul. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So I want to stop there and kind of talk about the two particular philosophies, because Luke took the time to name them. And the two philosophies that Paul was addressing, uh, those that he was in conversation with who invited him to, to proclaim the message on the larger stage, were the Stoics and the Epicureans. Now it's important to see what it is that they kind of staked their belief system in. The Stoics believed in an afterlife. They believed that how we lived mattered in our afterlife. They believed though that the purpose of living was to try to escape pain at all costs. That that you need to you need to live virtuous, you need to keep from being bringing pain and suffering on yourself, but you also need to kind of dial down your expectations, don't expect too much out of life, don't pursue too much, and just learn how to be happy with what you had. The Stoics were very much a minimalist kind of a mindset. They they believed in just living within your means, living in this life, but it was very much an endure this life kind of a mindset. Just hold on, it's gonna be better on the other side. These were the Stoics, this was their mindset. And then you had the Epicureans, and the Epicureans were more of a live life, there's nothing after this, it doesn't matter. Eat, drink, and be merry. You only live once, YOLO. They would have, they would have hashtag YOLO. And, you know, this the Epicureans have this kind of hedonistic approach to life. It's if if it feels good, do it. Just want God just wants you to be happy if they were, you know, did believe in some kind of one of the divinities of the day. And so you've got to see where the mindsets were of those that Paul was addressing. And we're gonna see later how we today are actually influenced quite dramatically by those same mindsets in our culture. Let's keep going. Acts chapter 17, we're gonna pick it up in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. I just love that. They're hedging their bets, right? <laughs> just in case we're wrong on all these, I cover, we were covered. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets, Paul quoting So Paul, first thing we see with Paul is that he meets people where they're at intellectually. It says in the text earlier that he was grieved. He was provoked to his heart by the idolatry that he saw in the city of Athens. So he engaged it. And he didn't engage it like the Westboro Baptist folks, did he? He's quoting their philosophers. He's quoting their poets. He's saying, look, you guys are are onto something here. You're you're going there, you're reaching, you're asking the right questions. You want to know about the meaning of life. You want to know why we exist. Let me share with you how you're getting close, but not finishing finishing the job. There's a church out in Hollywood called Mosaic. Mosaic. Uh, the pastor is Erwin McManus. He pa- pastored, pastors this church for a lot of years, and he planted it in Hollywood, very strategic location. And in 2010, 2011, there were Doritos commercials, and the Doritos commercials uh, were done by people outside of the Doritos marketing team. It was a contest. Uh, does anybody remember this? And, and these different, yeah, okay, I see some hands. So these different organizations and people, individuals would come up with ideas, and they would make Doritos commercials for the Super Bowl. And then Doritos would have a contest, and they would show the best ones. Well, Mosaic did two, two years in a row, this church, and they used Doritos, a cultural icon, in the Super Bowl, a national holiday now, right? (laughs) To proclaim the message of the resurrection in a very clever way. Let's look at the two commercials. Hey, dude, feed the fish, water the plant. I'll see you next Thursday. And welcome back on this beautiful Thursday morning. Next up. Mikey, at least he got his dying wish—a jumbo casket full of Doritos. Genius. Yeah, free Doritos, and he'll get out of work for at least a week. Go,
1: go, 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 go!
0: see what the central theme was in both of those messages? Resurrection, right? Not the crucifixion of Jesus, not even the forgiveness of sins, but resurrection. They cleverly found a way to have millions of people hear that essential message of Christianity was, say it with me, the resurrection. One more time. The resurrection, right? And so Understanding how to engage the culture is so important and understanding what the people are thinking is so important too. If you really wanna get geeked out on this whole like, intellectual debate and it's called Apologetics, there is a new book that just came out in January actually uh, by Ravi Zacharias, if we could see him. He grew up Muslim and then converted to Christianity as a teenager and for decades now he's been defending the Christian faith. Brilliant guy. And he and another guy from Princeton just wrote a book called Jesus, Among secular gods, and in the book they do kind of like Paul. They look at six of the isms in American culture, and they kind of take them on. The six that they look at are scientism, atheism, pluralism, humanism, relativism, and hedonism. Next Sunday there'll be a paper due on each one of those. If you could bring back five pages each, double space, it's fine. You can do this. No, but if you really just really want to get geeked out on it, pick this book up. It gives you a really good idea what the people in the culture, if you have unbelieving friends and you're talking about your Christian faith with them, this will help you understand where they're coming from in a lot of ways, I think. So you guys know K.J. Rolke, obviously. He and Taylor were interviewed by Bob Cassidy. And so as young adults, we wanted to kind of hear from them, hear from you as a demographic as to what your ideas are about how as a church we could engage the culture in a in a fresh, new, and different way. So if we could show that video
1: now. One of the things that I love is um, when Paul writes, you know, we're aliens in a foreign land, like we're in the world and not of the world. Um, and I think it's really cool that Paul is so good about um, engaging the world through the world's means, but bringing the truth into that conversation. He gives credit to, um, to the people of his day, to the... Uh, the intellectuals, to the academics, to the artists, and he says what you're doing is good. It's uh, it's good It's good work, and like there's merit and credit to it, and he doesn't discount it and say like, ah, oh, that's all just bad thinking. But he says, well, at least in my mind, he says you're not going far enough. You've gone 90% of the journey, but the 10% is where real redemption and where real salvation comes, uh, and that 10% is Jesus Christ, um, and that a little bit that they're missing. I think that Schweitzer in 2020 can be the place where uh, people can authentically express themselves as human without fear of judgment, um, without fear of betrayal, uh, without fear of um, feeling like th- if they do something wrong, that they immediately ostracize themselves from the community. Um, but instead, they can just go and say, I've got these thoughts. What do you think? And it's not it means not backing down from hard conversations especially about uh buzzwords in 2017 like i'm sure uh homosexuality and gender uh, equality and gender sexual orientation and things like that conversations about race conversations about politics conversations about um what it means to just be like a well i guess there's more gender too but what it means to be a man or a woman you know or what it means to be a christian man or a christian woman and and what it means to have um, a whole household, you know, of a good, safe, nuclear family that just has no fear of divorce or no fear, you know, things like that. And it's, it's not entering into those questions um, without intelligence. It's not entering into those questions without doing some research. And it's not entering into those questions, in, into those conversations, feeling like you have all the answers, but rather you say, here's what the best minds in the universe on earth think about how we answer those questions. And here's what I know God would say. And how do we make those two things align? And how does that then change the world and change the place that we're living
0: in? All right, I wanna thank KJ for his witness and invite you, I didn't get permission to do this, but invite you to talk to him. And he's just really good and loves to articulate how Christians need to be engaging the culture. And if some of you were wondering, uh, Taylor Likes is our creative, And he wasn't just in there for uh, window dressing, OK? He wasn't. I mean, he was. Uh, he looked great. But there is a seven, there's, how long is the video? Seven minutes? On the tell page of the website where Taylor is more than eye candy, all right? You get to actually hear him say something, so check that out. So KJ's video reminded me of uh, my wife and I are watching Criminal Minds on Netflix. Uh, we, we do uh, love to have one show at a time. We're kind of going through. And in season five, there was an episode where a truck driver was picking up uh, women, abducting and killing them. Uh, a lot of these TV shows understand how to capture the human condition, right? Really good at that. And so by the end, um, the truck driver kills himself because he gets caught. And the mother had already died in the, in the narrative. And so they get to the end, and a character named Prentice, um, the girl over there on the left, and then the, uh, the beefcake there, um, Morgan, yeah, he uh he and her are on the plane going back and they're having this deep conversation and it it was at the end of the conversa- of the episode and I was tired and it woke me up. And and Prentice says, you know, I just I'm overwhelmed by all of the evil that we encounter. And Morgan was like, well the girl's um it was either aunt or uncle or grandma, someone in her family stepped in and is taking them into her home. And and Morgan goes, you know, I am I am too, but I'm also encouraged by all of the good that we encounter. Big pause, and Prentice says, do you think it evens out? Morgan says, I'd like to think it does. I'd like to think it does. There's scales. Do you see what they're thinking here? And then the show isn't over. It goes to a final scene, and the final scene is a truck driver picking someone up and taking off. and then I fell asleep. (laughs) Do you see how the the culture, like KJ said, is just over and over in film and television and music and the arts have this gripping ability to, to capture us with the recognition of what the human condition is. How are we all experiencing life the same way? But then that final scene, and I think to myself, The final scene in the Christian life every single time is resurrection. Every time. Romans 8, Paul, after all that Paul goes through in his life, snake bit, whipped, shipwrecked, run out of town, jailed. He writes, for we know that all things together work for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose he writes from a Philippian jail, he writes to the Philippians from jail an entire letter about joy in chains. And I think to myself, while the culture and the isms have done a great job of pre- presenting the condition in which we live that causes us so much pain and suffering and hardship, in this life, they've done a really poor job of connecting the resurrection as the final scene in every one of our relationships, and every one of our endeavors, certainly at the end of our life. Actually, not just the end of our life. And I've been through a lot in my life, and I can tell you, if you keep your head down, and your eyes focused on the message that we claim to believe of resurrection, there is resurrection. There are winters, but there are always springs. Do spring always come? Yes or no? Always. Our story never fades out to the truck driver picking it up Another victim. That's not how it ends for us. And Paul, Paul does an amazing job of entering into that public square, entering into the debate and say, look at, you guys are getting it. We are his offspring, he says. Okay, you got that. The poet nailed that one. In him, we lo- live and move and have our being. You, you think that God is kind of in everything, that God is in the trees, like the force in Star Wars. Okay, well, you're a little off, but there is a God, and he does have a spirit, and he does invade the world. And show us the results of living in the resurrection. This, the second thing we see is that Paul did not compromise the message, the message that I just presented to you. You see, he, he understands that we can accept parts and bits and pieces, and maybe even a majority. I don't know, KJ in the video says they get 90% there. You can debate the percentages. They're missing the last 10%. Wherever you put how far these different isms have got it right, you have to understand that as Christians, we engage and say, okay, we're going to recognize where God is working in and through you, whether you even know it or not, where God has given you creativity, where God has given you, parents is, parenting is, is the biggest example for me. Where God has given you the ability to love unconditionally. Parents, you don't get a lot back from the, the kids in the, at the infancy age, right? I mean, you get the, but they're not helping you out. They're not picking up the bills. They're not running any errands for you. It's unconditional, right? Like we know, all of us humans understand unconditional love and the need that we have that in relationships. So we learn to accept, but we understand that acceptance of certain parts of a belief system is not affirmation of the entire belief system. I think we have a phobia. A lot of Christians think, well, if I, if I give and I tell them that, that creation was 4,000 years ago, or might have been 4 million years ago, ah, there's no virgin birth and no resurrection. Oh my gosh. So we just have to understand how to engage people. Paul is not getting into a whole diatribe and unpacking the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, with these these, these Greeks. He's presenting the message of the resurrection. And that message of the resurrection is something that each one of us in the room has to understand before we get on our soapbox and try to proclaim it to anybody. Isn't it? Like, believer, are you ready to walk out of the doors of the outreach center and share the Christian faith with somebody who has intellectual objections. I believe every one of us can do that. I believe God wants every one of us to be prepared to do that. To do that, I wanna to present to you the message of the resurrection that dismantles the isms through the lens of Paul's preaching. Because we may, you may have picked up on this earlier or you may not have, but it's very likely that we are more influenced by Stoicism and Epicureanism today than what we think. So let's look at the isms. The Stoics believed in kind of dialing back our expectations, like keeping ourselves from feeling too much pain in this life. How many of you have been hurt? How many of you have been deeply, deeply hurt in relationships? How many of you have had a couple of failures in vocational life? How many of you are just disappointed with the way things have gone in your life? What is it real easy to do when that happens? Retreat, right? No more relationships for me, no more vocations where I have to just put myself out there and, and possibly fail. I'm just going to, I'm just gonna hunker down and endure this thing and white knuckle it and go to church every Sunday and proclaim the resurrection, but not live a resurrected life. I'm just going to endure. I'm just going to hang on for the other side. Jesus would say to you today that I wept. He wept at the tune of Lazarus, his friend that was dead. He would say, he would, he would shout out in public, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy with burdens, and I will take them all away so you don't feel any more pain. I don't see how many people were paying attention. <laughs> okay, that's not what he said. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. He's saying, look, this world is going to be hard and you're going to engage it the way that I did. You're not going to retreat. You're not going to isolate. You're not going to look at your past failures and be defined by them because the whole world looked at the crucifixion and they saw failure. But our message is that the crucifixion was a message of hope and redemption and success. It was the only way to get to the resurrection. So if you are influenced at all today by a stoic mindset, a white knuckle it, bear down, just get to eternity, I'm here to share with you that Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. And that looks really good on bumper stickers. It looks really good crocheted and on posters and T-shirts. But it looks even better when you actually live it out. The Epicureans, those of us that are influenced by the Epicurean mindset. um, This is just a, God just wants me to be happy. God God just wants me to have health, wealth, prosperity, prosperity, God just wants everything to work out for me. God wants me to experience pleasure in this life. And before you think I'm talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, I'm talking about just taking the pleasures of this life, vacations, hobbies, good food, good friends, good drink, good experiences. And I'm not telling you not to experience any of that. I'm telling you that those things aren't worth staking your eternity on. There's a story in the Gospels where a guy is really getting wealthy. He's stockpiling all this wealth, and he says to himself, well, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I'll make some storehouses, and I'll put, put it in the storehouses, and then I can bring more wealth. And Jesus says, you fool. Your life could be taken tonight, and then what of all your wealth? The message... Of the gospel, the message of resurrection to those of us who are, have an Epicurean influence in our lives is that there is life on the other side of this. The way we live here matters. The way we give here matters. It matters not only in this life, but it matters in the life to come. And in fact, in the upside down kingdom, like I mentioned before, giving is actually better. Living for God is actually better than living for the things and the sensual pleasures of this world. There's a pastor years ago who coined the phrase Christian hedonism, and he, he staked a whole kind of book around it, and, and it captured me. I don't necessarily agree with all the guys' theology now, but think about that, Christian hedonism. Unlike, the, the Stoics have got it completely wrong when it comes to what it is that we're supposed to find our pleasure in. The Epicureans have got it all wrong that we should just seek after pleasure, eat, drink, and be merry. You only live once. A lot of our folks at Church at the Center in the recovery community say there ain't no high like the most high. And I really didn't give that much credence for a while. I just kind of laughed about it. But you know what? There's something there. You truly can get this, this high, this experience from living with and for God that you can't get in anything else in this world. So we finish off the text and we see how the people of Athens respond. They respond three different ways. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed him, among whom were also Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So where are you at today? Which of those are you? How are you going to respond today? I would say if you're here today and we love it that this is a campus where people can kind of come and just say, you know what? I don't believe in this yet, but you people are really doing a lot of good stuff and and you seem to be really nice. I haven't hung out in your living room yet, but you know what? I want to come back. I want to do more with you. And, And we see that on campus and we celebrate that. We're glad you're coming back. Some of you are coming back and listening to the message. Others of you believe. You've picked up and you've joined Paul. You've joined Pastor Bob and the staff and the vision of this church, and I just want to encourage you today to discard and remove any influence that you have in your life of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophies and believe the resurrection matters in every area of your life. Prepare yourself to share the message the way Paul did. Prepare yourself to engage the culture. Don't retreat from it, but engage it. Engage it. Give them Credit where credit is due and invite them to hear what we believe through love and through prayer and through your service to them.